So you want to know the ins and outs of managing your money. Well, lucky for you, you're just in time for another episode of Master Your Finances with certified financial planner professional, Kurt Baker. Kurt and his panel of experts are here for you and will cover topics from a legal and personal standpoint. They'll discuss tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money, and more. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Ryder University. Now, let's learn how we can better change our habits with Kurt Baker. Do you want to get a fresh perspective on purchase and sales acquisitions? Do you understand the significance and value of handed down craftsmanship and niche manufacturing in the United States? Richard Balka, President and CEO of the Home Rubber Company, is here to aid you in gaining appreciation for Trenton-based businesses that remained for a long time, as well as English major entrepreneurs. Today, he will make you nostalgic as you travel down memory lane and see Trenton's long-standing businesses. Richard, I want to thank you very much for coming on. Um, I know you went did a chamber event where you told us a little bit of the history of this. It was awesome, and I thought this would be great to share that. So can you tell us a little bit about the history uh, background of the home rubber company and like and its significance to Trenton and, and how you got involved. Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. And um, so I, uh, it's funny, we were just talking about this <laughs> offline. I, I, through a very circuitous route, uh, I came to Trenton and uh, the home rubber company had been in business uh, for three generations within a single family. I just so happened to meet uh, uh, a broker that was helping the, the third generation owner sell the business at a time when he was ready to retire, uh, realizing that neither of his daughters had an interest in the business nor their, uh, nor their husbands. Um, so I, I kind of uh, got lucky and hit a moment in time when the company was available. Well, that's just that's just amazing. I know it's been around a long time. So can you tell us a little bit about like the rubber company and how it's managed to continue to be successful and to stay uh, relevant and obviously have an ever changing like business environment, especially with what you're doing. You want to tell us a little bit about what you do and how it has actually changed a little bit over time. Like sure. What you do. Uh, first of all, a little bit of history. Uh, the home rubber company goes back to 1881. Uh, we are either the oldest or the second oldest continuously operating uh, rubber factory in the country. And, uh, and Trenton, New Jersey, as some of the uh, older locals know, was the capital for all rubber manufacturing in the United States prior to the uh, Industrial Revolution. And what happened during the Industrial Revolution is a lot of, uh, a lot of Rust Belt cities lost their manufacturing businesses to uh, southern, uh, southern and, and plain states where they could spread out their manufacturing, create more efficient properties, uh, and, uh, and in some cases automate at, at that time. The Home Rubber Company, because the owners had been, uh, had been in the Trenton area for a very long time, had, 
had uh, roots and and uh, realized that they did not want to move the business out of the area for that reason. And uh, recognizing that the only way for them to stay viable as a manufacturer was to become a niche manufacturer. So what happened was as uh, the larger companies, Uniroyal and, and um, uh, Daco and some of the other uh, name companies that, that many of us have heard of moved out of this area, uh, and, and began to automate and, and create, um, create commodity-type products, the owners of the home rubber company recognized that they needed to stay in a niche and become a custom manufacturer in order to stay viable. So do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the, like that, there's some specific craftsmanship that's involved and in being in a niche? Cause you're, you're not doing the general like automation thing. You, you guys are actually have high skills. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that's differentiated between you and some of these other companies that are out there? Sure. So, uh, we, we still manufacture with a great deal of touch labor. Uh, if you come in and see photographs of our factory from, 142 years ago, you'll recognize a lot of the same uh, operations and equipment. And, and what the what this means is that our workers need to learn how to ply up layers of rubber to to build a hose, how to apply wire and and fabrics to that, uh, how to mold products, and and that these skill sets uh, need to be passed along from. Uh, from maker to maker in order to keep the continuity of the company going. Well, that's amazing. So you, so you have some, you do specialty things. You want to tell us a little bit about some types of, some of the types of specialties that you do and why it's important to have skilled labor do this as opposed to like running it down like a manufacturer, like the, like what some of these other automated systems do, the well, kind the, of the difference between how that works. The, the reality is that um, what we do is generally uh, we, we, we say to our customers, if you can find the product that solves your needs in someone else's catalog, go ahead and buy it. But as soon as you need to deviate from that commodity product, from that over-the-counter product, then uh, we'll help you design it if you need us to. We'll uh, reverse engineer a specification if it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but it can be anything from... Uh, one of the fortunate things about the home rubber company is that back in the late 80s, early 90s, rubber companies made everything from galoshes and, and rain gear to uh, garden hoses and, and um, fire hoses, conveyor belting, uh, and so on. And, and we still have all those capabilities. So uh, examples of some of the things that we do, we make a lot of uh, a lot of hoses for use in steel mills around the furnaces. These have to have fire resistant covers to them. Uh, we make uh, just the other end of the spectrum is we make a type of bladder that goes inside of a fruit press that's used <laughs> to make ice wine. Really, in the Niagara region and other regions similar to it, where it's just a a big rubber bladder that that sits inside a 
a mesh cage and the grapes go between the cage and the rubber. Mm -hmm. They inflate the rubber and the, the pith stays in the cage, but the, but the juice flows down underneath it. That's awesome. Uh, so, you know, it's just, it's, we essentially can take on almost any type of job. Well, it sounds like it's a very fascinating job because it sounds like every day you go to a new project, it's going to be just a little different, right? Right, exactly. There's always something new and different. And that's why I guess the skill set is so important. So, uh, I mean, you guys decided to stay in Trenton. I know like the Northeast is, is known for like having, as you mentioned, losing manufacturing out of the area. But we still have a lot of manufacturing in the United States, but I think a lot of people don't realize that. So what do you think is happening as far as why did you stay in Trenton and how are you adding to like the local economy by the fact that you have decided to stay here and you and other industries have decided to stay here? Well, first of all, let's talk about why we stayed in Trenton. Uh, th- there's a couple of reasons, and, and chief among them, I give credit to the, the former owner of the company and to the city, county, and state of New Jersey. Uh, the former owner had the opportunity to sell it, uh, sell the business to a Florida-based company that had planned on just taking the customer list and a few pieces of equipment. And uh, because of the the Stokes family dedication to the area, they chose to uh, to hold on to the business and, and find another buyer, which turned out to be me. Um, when I got to, I'm originally a Philly guy. Okay. Uh, when I got to, uh, got into this project, uh, got in touch with the local uh economic development folks who, you know, within a very short period of time, put together a group with the city, the county, uh, and um, back in the days of true community lending, they mm-hmm. uh, put us in touch with Core States Bank. Uh, oh, sure. And, 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 you know, we were able to put that together. Um, but there's a couple reasons to stay where we are. One is that, you know, I, I bought this business in 1996, just at the beginning of globalization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years and all these companies that had started out in Trenton and, and other Rust Belt cities wound up going over, you know, they, they went from here to Akron, Ohio and places like that. And then they wound up taking a lot of their manufacturing overseas. Mm-hmm. And just as you hear today, if an American manufacturer wants to be competitive, they have to be in a niche. Fortunately for us, uh, that niche had been created back in generation two of the home rubber ownership when, after the, the Industrial Revolution, they recognized that, that they weren't going to compete uh, against the commodity manufacturers. So, you know, things came full circle when uh, a lot of manufacturing went to the Middle East and the Far East, right. but we were already in our niche, so we, we were very fortunate in that respect. Well, it's good that you stayed here. So how do you think your impact has uh, helped the, like, the local economy by keeping this? Man- because what Trenton used to be known for manufacturing, right. and now it's a you know, relatively small, compared to what it used to be, I guess, right? right? Sure. Right. Um, so <clears throat> obviously, uh, because we're not automated, we, we uh, count on a great deal of touch labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we employ about 40, uh, 40 employees right now. Uh, we would like to expand that if the uh, if the economy would would uh, give us some help finding good qualified people. But that's 
that's another story altogether. Um, but most of our employees walk to work, so they're mm-hmm. definitely uh, they're definitely local folks, and uh, and you know the company's been around for a long time and has been uh, lived on and fed the the Trenton manufacturing reputation for all of those years. That's just awesome. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Master Your Finances. We'll be right back. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, certified financial planner professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Uh, welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm here with Richard Balka, and we're talking about manufacturing in Trenton and the home rubber company and how they've been here since, I guess, what, 1881, right? So Correct. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> that's just amazing. I can't even think. That's just an almost an incomprehensible amount. That's just, there's a lot. It was a very different country back in 1881. We, we, were, <laughs> we were recognized by the, the city of Trenton along with some other uh, over 75 and over 100-year-old right. companies. I think we were only beaten out by one pork roll company. Okay. And uh, God bless them. It's hard to beat a <laughs> Jersey pork roll, right? Uh, exactly. <laughs> so, so, yeah, speaking of that, I mean, how, I mean, since you've got a couple other entrepreneurial businesses in Trenton, like, how do you guys, like, do you guys communicate or work together? Or how do you, do you, is there any um, conversations about how to keep things going in Trenton and how to, you know, I mean, because you guys are similar as far as your age goes. Did you guys ever talk to each other about this kind of stuff? Uh, like staying in Trenton and trying to help Trenton out? And Unfortunately, that's... not as much as I would have liked. Okay. And I mentioned to you that I'm a Philly guy. Right, right. Uh, the, the, uh, the reality is we do very little business very locally. Okay. Uh, we sell all over the country. We right. actually also export to Mexico and China. Okay. Uh, which is kind of neat. But, that is neat. Um, because I'm not an indigenous Trentonian, uh, although I was once married to one, okay, uh, I I just have not uh, taken advantage of some of the local networking that that I might have done. Okay, um, but I I have met the owner of uh, Switlick Parachutes, right? Oh, uh, cool. among others, and and um, you know I I think those of us that are still here. Uh, certainly feel a sense of commitment and right. um, and uh, an attachment and and in you know and in other cases rely on a workforce that that uh, that was born and bred and trained here to fulfill our missions well that's that's awesome so now you're also an English major you want to tell us how maybe that's helped in your career because this is very different than what you went to school for how do you think that might have impacted how well you're doing today uh, I think that uh, the answer to that lies in a level of um, a level of lack of direction during my college years. That uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, I I went to a very uh, a, a very broad based liberal arts uh, college in the Midwest, uh-huh. and uh, and the thing I enjoyed most was uh, reading and writing and analyzing and and. Uh, and I, I believed what the uh, what the career counselors kept telling me that that if you have a, a 
liberal arts education, you can you can master anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically, I, I got out of college. I, I wasn't one of those guys who uh, gave a lot of thought to what I would do once I got out. Um, but when I did graduate, uh, I, using some family contacts, uh, went and interviewed, I actually talked to the, the, uh, the head of a very large chemical company in, in the Philadelphia area. And he said, Oh, great. I'm, I'm looking for, for people that aren't just engineers. Cause we have to, you know, diversify our, our, uh, you know, our group here. And, and, and he organized to have me interview with, with two of his engineers, uh, and I sat down in front of them and, and they kind of stared at me and, <laughs> and they said, uh, I, I understand, but what, you know, I, I understand you're an English major, but what can you do for us? We're, you know, we're a chemical company. And I said, well, I am, I am fully prepared to become an expert in, in any area that I need to be. And they looked at me and they, and they said, no. No. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, okay. so I had, uh, I think one other interview like that. And, uh, and then I said, well, this isn't going to work out. I better go make my own career. Right. Uh, and at that point, uh, uh, after a brief stint as a bartender, I, I started, uh, developing real estate in the Philadelphia area, and, and one thing led to another. Well, I have to say, just from telling your storytelling, it sounds like communication's been a huge key to this whole thing, right? Because your ability to communicate, and I think that's a strong indicator of how people, well people do. Just being a bartender, I bet you got right. good tips, right? Uh, I, <laughs> actually, yeah. the, and, and, and negotiating real estate, right? right. This is all communication. We, we were talking about this offline a little yeah. bit before before the program, but but some of my uh, some of my during college and post college uh, jobs, one was uh, selling dictionaries door to door, right. And, uh, you know, that was pure cold calling. We would walk up and down a business district of, you know, it could be anywhere. We would be dropped off in the morning and, and picked up sometime late in the afternoon. Uh, and, and I could tell you a story about doing that on the Admiral Wilson Boulevard in Camden. But, okay. um, uh, but, but it's, it's learning how to, to talk to people, to talk your way in the door, uh, you learn objection answers when somebody counters you. And, and then uh, bartending, I actually uh, met people as a, when I was a 20-something bartender that, uh, who were you know, lawyers and business people in, in the area that I still uh, keep in contact with today. But overall, to your point about communication, you learn to... Uh, you learn to talk with people. You learn to listen to people. Mm. You learn to read people. Um, th- these are all important skills. And whether you're negotiating or selling or, uh, you know, just being poised enough to ask for help when you need it, I think these are all parts of the communication skill set. Well, I think you just point out something really important for young entrepreneurs. I know this is something I struggled with is asking for help from others. Cause I think when you start off, you're like, I need to learn how to do everything. Right. And, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the thing I've learned now is I need to know enough to know how to direct somebody else to do something in another area, but I don't need to be the expert. Right. Or I, or I need to know where to go. Right. 
to start that network trajectory toward right. the person who ultimately can help me. Yeah, and the network. I think that was huge, too. You talked about right. how you develop a network. And I assume you're probably still developing your network today, right? I'm assuming sure. that's how you continue to, to grow the sales, especially when you're dealing with a niche, right? If you're, if you're making bladders for one company and, and, you know, these are all specialty products. So how do they, they must be referring you. So that must be an interesting dynamic when you're dealing with something very niche so if I have a very niche product that I'm buying from you, who am I referring to? I mean, how are we re how are we helping you as clients, and how is that referral source building? Whereas if I was buying like a the same thing, it was like, oh, well, he needs one of those too. Right. In your case, nobody needs what I need, right? They, they well, need something well, a little different. <laughs> right. And the sales challenge for us, and and by the way, you're never going to get a a, a a guy working in a steel mill referring you to to the local uh, ice wine maker. But, right. but the reality is, um, you know, we sell through predominantly through distribution around the country. Uh, there, are, uh, there are associations that these guys work with. They, they, um, they, they do refer business back and forth, but the challenge of our, of our sales initiative is because we're not needed on a regular basis, we have to stay point of mind for any of our customers for when those uh, custom products come up. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's been our biggest sales challenge and always will. Uh, you know, if you're a commodity manufacturer, you're, you're regularly in contact with your, your biggest customers and, and, you know, seeing purchase orders every day and that sort of thing. We certainly have customers that, that are like that, but we also have customers that we hear from once every three years. Right. Uh, you know, but it, when the advantage of having been around since 1881 is that uh, our reputation for being a problem solver exists out there. And so, you know, somebody leaves one company and goes to another company and they remember, hey, I, you know, we used to buy this from Home Rubber. Or they pick up a phone and call someone that they know in the industry and they say, hey, you know, try Home Rubber. They can do this. That, that's just awesome. So um, any other, like, so what do you see some, like, distinct products that you make? I mean, I know you talked about a little bit about this. So what other things do you guys, uh, like, problem-solve and manufacture there? Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll try to go from the sublime to the ridiculous. Uh, okay. We, we, we've made some um, uh, six-inch-thick bumpers that are stops for trains at the end of the rail line. Okay. We have made... Uh, we have made uh, a tugboat bumper that was about 2,800 pounds. That wow. got it was basically an incredibly large piece of rubber tubing, with about a four-inch thick wall that got wrapped around the front of a tugboat uh, to act as a bumper. Uh, we uh, we've made uh, for people that collect antique cars and fire trucks and things like that. We've made the, the hoses because the way we make them uh, is the way they were made uh -oh. when the fire trucks were first built. So they have uh, what's known as a fabric or a wrap impression on the, on the okay. outside diameter of them. Um, we make, if I can say this on the radio, what we defined as the piss hose, which was <laughs> an incredibly flexible hose that was used on the urinals 
of uh, trains. Interesting. Never, <laughs> never knew there was such a thing. <laughs> and, uh, and, and one of the products that we make, uh, well, the, the things that we export, we, we uh, and we didn't get into this, but uh, a couple of years ago, I bought a, another company called the Ivanhoe Rubber Company back in 2008. Uh-huh. Uh, Ivanhoe is also a niche manufacturer and sells uncured rubber to companies that mold and extrude with it. Uh, and Ivanhoe, uh, among other things, makes the rubber that is used for the plugs and sockets of wire harnesses for the space shuttle, oh, wow. uh, the rockets, missile systems, uh, and pretty much every airplane you've been on uh, since you've been on any. <laughs> okay. So it, it's, a, it's a little bit of anything that comes up. That's really cool. We're going to take another quick break. You're listening to Master Your Finances. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, certified financial planner professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Uh, welcome back. You're listening to Master Finances. I'm here with Richard Abalka, and we're talking about lots of dis- different interesting <laughs> things, <laughs> from, from urinals on the train to bumpers <laughs> on tugboats to uh, I didn't I had no idea like how many things you are involved. And then and there's that in the shuttle. I have not been on the shuttle. But <laughs> I was going to say before you got to that, my wife has uh, often. Uh, told me that I crossed the line in, in some of the things that I say. So I okay. apologize if I right. offended anybody with my, uh, with, with my uh, I'll call it honesty. Uh, it sounds like, like you're just a Philly guy to me. That's what it sounds like to exactly. me. So, no, that's awesome. So I know uh, I, as in any company had to deal with the last couple of years when we, when we had the shutdown or we, you know, during the pandemic, how did a company like yours, which was really, you were kind of tied in that whole supply chain issue like you know you didn't have materials you didn't have employees i mean how did you manage that whole process and what adjustments did you make and what kinds of things did you learn through that process uh well the first thing i learned was how grateful i was to be declared an essential business um my my wife works from home uh, as an attorney and mm-hmm. and uh the thought of the two of us trying to work out of the same house <laughs> for uh any period of time was was really disconcerting and and truth be told, I have never liked working from home. Mm-hmm. I, I have to be out and around people. Uh, and uh, so when you know we were going through the list and, and the government's uh, announcements of what businesses were, were considered essential, uh, my wife and I were both ecstatic and, and uh, obviously pleased. But it, it, it was interesting because we, you know, like many businesses, we took extra steps cleaning. We, um, we, uh, we rotated our office staff who was working from home and who wasn't. We uh, got better at uh, the, the IT stuff that had to go on. Um, but, but there were also stresses for, even though it was where I wanted to be uh, and, and that I wanted to obviously continue operating, there were stressors around 
coming to work every day, worrying about whether or not uh, somebody in the factory would get sick. What would that mean? Uh, you know, I heard horror stories from other uh, business owners who spent thousands, twenty, thirty thousand dollars cleaning their factories because a- after somebody got sick, because nobody at that point really understood what you know what was creating all this. Um, but we, you know, our guys came in every day. Uh, we, uh, oddly enough, nobody in the factory ever uh, ever um, contracted COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that we were aware of and and you know our the office staff who was rotating in and out of there we we actually did have a few people that that got it um but i i give a lot of credit not only to uh you know to our guys for continuing to come in um but not being cowered by it continuing to work through it and so on as far as the uh, supply chain issues we were very fortunate when uh, again, to being a U.S. manufacturer, uh, where a lot of the supply chain issues came from uh, manufacturing overseas, not being able to get their product to the U.S., we, uh, you know, we saw an uptick in business. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not suggesting, and and this is a whole other soapbox, that uh, the U.S. can ever onshore all of the manufacturing we need to keep our company uh to keep our country uh where it is from an economic standpoint um but uh a lot of uh, a lot of businesses ran into real problems and uh, you know those of us that were able to get product in and you know get raw materials in and get product out the door were very fortunate we really didn't see uh, significant supply chain issues until really toward the end of the pandemic. Mm. Uh, and, and I'm not sure why that was. I, I think uh, if I had to guess, it's a combination of multiple factors, some being um, the fact that goods were in such supply that some of the commodity raw materials that we count on coming from the Far East were uh, not valued enough to make it onto the ships that were getting here. Oh. <clears throat> uh, some of the issues uh, were coming from factories overseas, retooling, uh, shutting down shifts and so on. And what happened was, you know, early on in January of, I guess it was 20, we we saw a huge dip in, in uh in uh, orders, as most people did, because uh, everyone was sort of stepping back and going home and whatever. But over the next couple of months, we saw demand spike. And then what we have seen, and and for those people in my industry that I talk to, they're saying the same thing. As prices kept rising so rapidly, customers started buying more and more goods with uh, and trying to lock in before those price increases uh, hurt them. And the spiral was that 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 increased demand. And and so, you know, that is one of the things that's led to the to the inflationary period that we're in now. 
Um, but it was it was a roller coaster. <laughs> wow, yeah, hasn't that's eased up a little bit lately, right? The uh, that cycle hasn't it softened it, a little? It or has seen, softened a little. We're we're seeing uh, mm-hmm. we're seeing both overseas freight and domestic freight coming down a little bit. I'm mm-hmm. actually uh, it, it, not amazed, but upset by how many calls we get every day from logistics companies trying to get our business that. You know, you couldn't even get on the phone uh, 18, 20 months ago. Right. Um, but it, it's funny because just today I saw uh, one of our one of our uh, raw material suppliers, uh, ke- chemical based products. Uh, I got a letter today saying, you know, we're reducing the price of such and such. Um, we haven't seen a ton of it, but right. but little bits here and there, I think. No one is bringing the price or the cost down not to, as much as they took them up. Not to 2019, right? Yet, right? <laughs> <laughs> but we'll 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 see how that works out. Yeah, no. So that's that's interesting. So um, so how did you manage like the employees through this whole process? It sounds like everybody kept working. We we, and, uh, uh, so- we 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 kept it going. We like many businesses took advantage of the the COVID funding that was available from right. the government. Uh, we we didn't lay anyone off, uh, particularly in the factory. Mm-hmm. Um, we. You know what we um, what we didn't do was travel for you know for sales, which is something that we we were used to doing, uh, and that was probably created the biggest change for us. Uh, but that being said, again, the advantage of being a company with a 142 year old reputation is that we found in the past we can stay off the road for periods of time mm-hmm. without being hurt too much. Uh, and so, you know, our guys stepped up and got everything done that needed to get done. So after going through that, the pandemic period, has anything changed like from a business perspective? I mean, do you, I don't know, do you travel, still travel less and maybe do more quote zoom calls? I mean, has anything like shifted a little bit? Cause we all learned a little bit during the process. Some things were positive, right? So any <laughs> things you added to it that maybe was a positive from this whole episode? Well, certainly, uh, you know, the technology of zoom meetings and so on, uh, has, has improved, uh, life dramatically. Uh, the reality is, uh, I'm in a transition where I'm actually looking for uh, a new sales manager, mm-hmm. and and I will leave it up to the, that individual when they're hired, how much travel we're going to do, whether we sell uh, through direct sales versus uh, reps around the country, and so on. Um, but definitely, you, you know, uh, companies, our distributor customers, they didn't want us to show up any more than we didn't want our guys getting on airplanes, <laughs> and and right. uh, and so. Everybody in the industry learned to work a different way, and and that's not changing anytime soon. Well, that's good. So, uh, anything else from the uh, pandemic period that you want to talk about that we uh, that we figured out? We... I think we just about covered it, right. other well, than learning to wash our hands uh, forty two times a day, which and hopefully people continue to. Do. Right, exactly. Continually... So, I was amazed how many people didn't wash their hands beforehand. Unfortunately, <laughs> some of them are going back to that. Uh, so yeah, definitely want to. Sanitary is really uh, really an important uh, part of that. So um, now, what about like the impact of U.S. like manufacturing base? Now they talk about like I realize that we can't bring all manufacturing back to the United States because it is a world economy. But what about the focus of bringing at least 
certain critical infrastructures back to like if we have a shutdown like this at least well maybe we can make masks or maybe we can make right. these, you know some basic components right. maybe some drugs that are necessary it's funny you mentioned masks the one last piece on, on the pandemic is there was a local group across the river in marsville pennsylvania that was uh that was sewing uh cloth masks mm -hmm. when masks weren't available and of course all of the sewing stores ran out of the the white, stretchy, uh, elasticy stuff. Right. And uh, I don't know how she found me, but we started making uh, essentially rubber bands that they could use in place of the elastic. If it has rubber in the in the name, right. you, you can make it, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, to your to your point, it, it's a struggle because um, it, there are things we don't want to make here. Right. We don't want. You know, we have uh, we have areas like Louisiana, the, the Gulf region, where we've pushed a lot of the chemical manufacturing that, you know, that other areas didn't want and shouldn't have had in their backyards because it was too close to residential areas. And, and you know, the irony of manufacturing back when all of all of the older companies started was that they, that, that it, the most efficient place to locate your big manufacturing facility was along a waterway. And, and of course, you know, dumping into those waterways, and, and we know all the problems that, that that's caused. Um, th there's certainly, to your point, there are certainly products that we need to be able to, uh, to either make here or amass here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, do we need to be able to make masks? I can't answer that right. if, if we well, can just an example. Right. If we can <laughs> stockpile them. Um, right. You know, we need to be able to maintain our food supply. Right. Certainly we need to be able to, you know, as we're seeing with with um, uh, chips and, and computer, uh, we certainly need to be able to to protect ourselves from. Uh, if, if they're that prevalent in, in all of the things that we use to function on a daily basis, no question about it. Well, I certainly appreciate it. I hope those conversations are happening between industry leaders and the government at some level. But uh, we're going to take another quick break where you're listening to Master Your Finances. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, certified financial planner professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finance. I'm with Richard Balka, and we're uh, talking about long 142-year history of manufacturing, which is incredible, all the way from uh, the very, very beginning. And now we went through the pandemic. We learned a lot through that. And you guys make all kinds of interesting things, all the way from the shuttle down to the trains to the tugboats to 
It's, I think it's just incredible that you to guys are mask elastic, mask elastic, <laughs> and mask elastic, right? Exactly. So, pretty much, rubber is uh, you know you put rubber in there. Is uh, I, I never realized just how diverse a company could be about. I just assumed different people made different things, but you guys can make it all, which I think is really cool in of it itself. And it's and it's basically forty employees can make almost anything that's rubber. Exactly. That's that to me is amazing. Just that whole idea from, is amazing from, to me. From from raw chemical yeah. through mixing to uh, to finished product. That's just, I, I find that, I personally find that fascinating as an engineer. I think that's really cool. So that's the first 142 years. So what do you see happening? Maybe not 142 <laughs> years out, but how about the next 10, 20, 30 years? What do you see kind of happening? Because you're a niche, right? But you obviously have automation. We have things like AI coming out. We have all these other things happening in the in the world, so, so to speak. How do you think that's going to impact you as a business? Uh Boy, you had to bring AI into it, didn't oh, you? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, everything seemed so clear until AI oh, came on right. the scene, didn't it? Oh, I guess. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, I, I guess uh, first you have to ask yourself from an economic standpoint what's going to happen. And, and I don't know about you, but, you know, I periodically go to association uh, uh, events and there's always a, an economist there. And uh, and they always say the one thing that's certain is change. Right. You know, they get they, paid a lot of money to say that, too, by the way. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same message. Um, you, you know, and, and there's uh, I, I've heard enough of them to uh, to have some some takeaways that that I think you can go on. Um, cycles obviously constantly exist in, in home rubbers history and and the discussion around uh how we became a niche manufacturer that that that's certainly a cycle um the economic uh rises and falls the highs and lows those are the cycles we're always going to see but the the challenge is nobody can predict how deep or how high any of them are right um where i struggle today is that you know uh, i see a lot of people confusing the stock market with the economy. And and then you hear, well, the stock market's rising because of tech stocks, or the stock market's falling because of tech stocks. I consider the home rubber company and companies within our, uh, within our environment to be bellwether uh, economic indicators. Steel, concrete, construction, mining, uh, you know, these are food. These are, these are where my customers and their customers live. And the reality is that when everyone's talking about a recession over the past six, nine, 12 months, everyone in my industry was reporting record sales, record demand. Uh, and, and, and at the last uh, trade show I went to back in, um, it was in uh, early May of, of this year, the, the term you kept hearing is, as long as we don't talk ourselves into a recession, there right. won't be a problem. Right. Now, that being said, uh, inflation is horrible. Uh, there's no question about that. And, and yet, I think it was, you know, it, it, it is the unfortunate uh, outcropping of the necessity of keeping the economy going during COVID. I, I, you know, while there may have been waste and there may have been theft, and, and I'm sure there was, 
I don't fault the government for the approach that they took there. I just think it's going to take a while for for all of that cash in our economy to to uh, to level out. Um, and and, I, and unfortunately, you get me talking, and I I I start going in different directions at, at various points, but. The the other, uh, from my standpoint, and and uh, and I think we see this more here in the Northeast than than other parts of the country. The other thing that that is a cycle that needs to swing back is we need, uh, in in my personal opinion, a cycle that feeds our middle class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and one of the one of the brighter economists that that I heard. Uh, describe this went through uh, a series of, you know, charts and data and and so on that showed that the biggest threat to our GDP is not having a strong middle class. Um, there's been a cycle. Uh, I don't. I'm not good with years, but it's probably 25, 30 year cycle uh, of uh, of broadening the gap. Yeah. Uh, between the upper class, you know, the the one percent, and all, all the the buzzwords that we hear, um, I think that that will come back to haunt us uh, because that I should probably stop and think my way through this, but I, I don't think the economy is driven by that one percent in terms of their need for the sorts of regular demand items that that generally drive our economy as a whole uh yeah you know and and it's like if you look at uh if you go back and look at the stores target and bed bath beyond that that are struggling now and, and you hear that what what their problems are is you know there was a whole bunch of money all at once right right and so everyone went out and bought a new blender but you only need one blender every five years. Right, right. So, you know, it doesn't sustain it. But if everybody had gone out uh, and, and, and bought a house or if everybody had gone out and, 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 and if we got the money into the hands of people that needed, uh, you know, needed it on a daily basis for food, for housing, for those sorts of things, it would continue to churn in the economy. Um, and I'm sorry, because clearly I am going no, off you're, on my no, soapbox. No, you're, you're, no you're, you're right. I mean, you're, the middle class, t- it's called the velocity of money. The right. middle class tends to spend money more as a higher percentage of what they have, whereas the wealthy tend to hold it and invest it, and they don't necessarily spend it. So like a middle right. class person will do what you say. They'll buy groceries, and then that grocery person that, at that store makes an income, and they go and spend the money. So the more, sure. this, and that's where most, that's, people forget that. The most of the wealth actually exists in the middle class, and the stronger the middle class is, the more it supports everybody, right? Because they provide the good and the services right. to the one percenters, and they also provide the services to those who are disadvantaged and need, you know, need help, uh, need a hand up, right? So to, to help them get out of poverty. Um, but yeah, you're right, and you're right. That divergence has been continuing to to, to spread, and there is some concern there. I mean, uh, and, and so we have to pay attention to it. I don't, I don't know if anybody knows the actual answer yet, but um, but you're right. We have to find ways to better to suit it. And it's interesting to me is that, and you see this as, a, as a, an employer, is it seems like we have these job openings, but they're not filling 
as quickly, which is an interesting dynamic where we're paying people more money, but they're not necessarily running to come get the jobs either yet. Well, and, and which is interesting to me. Yeah, I, I mentioned to you uh, during the break. I'm an NPR junkie, uh, right. and and recent stories around, um, you know, population decline. Right. Uh, we, we we demographics just came out. Our our median age is about uh, four years older than it was the last time that the study was done. We don't have the people to fill the jobs. Um, so if you don't uh, if, if we don't figure out how those people are going to get here, we can't expect the economy to grow other than through, and I've avoided AI this whole time, okay. other than through this sort of automation <laughs> that maybe AI would be able to pick up. But I don't think anyone at this point believes that AI can fill the sorts of jobs that we're struggling to fill now. Yeah, I think that's 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 one of those big, interesting areas that all of us is. It's going to happen quickly. We're just not sure exactly what's going right. to happen. And, <laughs> and in my business, and I've been thinking about this, yeah. I could use AI if I didn't want to have people answering phones, for instance. Right. I could use AI to uh, design a hose, which is an right. engineering, you know, an engineering uh, calculation. But uh, you know, I can't use AI. To build that hose, right? Uh, so I don't know. We'll we'll see it coming. We're gonna. I think initially it's gonna be an augmentation. Like we'll use it as another tool, right? And that there's still a person. It'll be like that ninety ten, where maybe I, AI will do like ninety percent, but there's still a person that's gonna be involved right. at some level, and they might handle the grunt work of helping you do the basics. But somebody still has to do the final. Okay, okay, this is what we're going to do. So Right, um, and, and guys like you and me, yeah. you know, the middle-aged white guys, will be the last <laughs> adapters, and, and so it'll all, right. you, you know, younger, younger kids who uh, can understand it, they'll, they'll teach us how, and we'll just sit back and watch. We'll just have to, we'll just have to watch <laughs> it. So any, this has been an awesome hour. So any uh, final words before we uh, want to give words of advice and words of wisdom? Uh, I have no advice other than... Um, uh, you know, be uh, be optimistic, and uh, and and look out for others. Take care of other people, and they'll take care of you. And um, thank you. I've been I've enjoyed chatting. And uh, if anybody was willing to pay attention to any of this, I hope I kept you awake. All right. Well, <laughs> well thank you, Richard. I appreciate you. you've been listening to Master Your Finances. Uh, please go to www.masteryourfinance.us and subscribe there. And want to have a wonderful day. That was this week's episode of Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Tune in every Sunday at 9 a.m. to expand your knowledge in building and managing your wealth. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Master Your Finances to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Rider University.